Welcome back to the Sim Geeks podcast. We are your hosts, William Belk and David Shablock. So David, you and I have had this conversation a few times before, uh, and one of the listeners, Simtech Tog, commented on the second episode, uh, basically we were talking about our pet peeves and kind of threw one of his out there, which is the idea that people come into the Sim Lab and then try to basically verbalize everything rather than actually get in there and do it. Um, this is, I think, an annoyance we've all dealt with. Everyone in simulation has probably dealt with this at one point. And so let's, uh, let's take a couple minutes. Uh, let's hear kind of some ways that we've tried both maybe successfully and unsuccessfully to stop this behavior. Uh, so I'll let you go first. What have you guys done in your lab to prevent people from doing this or maybe encourage them to get more involved and hands-on? The way I was taught, I'm a firm believer in it's, it's all about the pre-brief and it's all about setting the tone. The, the more we can treat it real and the more you at nausea say it during the pre-brief, um, you know, it, the more they're going to take it. And, and they have to bring 50% to the party. You've got to bring 75% to the party. I understand that's more than 100%, but it's because you got to tell them that, you know, you're going to have to bring something to this. Uh, the other thing is the three words I say you're not allowed to use in any variation are simulate, pretend, and well, I was gonna. Uh, so I, I say that several, several times, you know, followed up with things like, well, if you wouldn't do it with a real patient, you're not allowed doing it here. Um, so those are a few things that I use. And, and the other thing is, you know, if we've had a problem in one scenario where somebody talks to God or something like that, we, we just lightly address it. It's not punitive. It's not like you shouldn't do this, but it's like, now remember, um, you know, the reason why we didn't respond is because, you know, you can't talk to God. So those are just a few of the ways that we do it. You know, and, and I think we do something very similar. So before all of our labs, first thing in the morning or afternoon, whenever it is we're getting started, uh, you know, our big approach is address the entire group before they go in. So in our simulations, our clinicians actually go in one at a time. They're tested individually uh, and they go through four scenarios. And so before we jump into any one of them, we just lay it out there like, hey, guys, here's what's expected of you. When you're in the lab, look, listen, feel, touch. You know, the only, the only sense you don't use in my lab is taste, I hope. Uh, but when we're, when we're running through these things, we, we just let them know, like, this is what's expected. Do everything exactly like you would if you were treating a real patient. Yes, I know it's plastic. Yes, I know it's cold when you touch it. Um, but if it's something you can do or you can assess yourself, I expect you to do it. Uh, and, you know, and this is real evident with, like, we'll stand next to the bed and you'll see someone, well, what are their lung sounds? Well, I don't know. It's as you find it. Listen to the lung sounds. You tell me what they are. If for whatever reason, you, you know, you don't get the answer that I'm looking for, I'll kind of, I'll help you along. I'll, I'll, I'll nudge you. I'll, you know, direct you back to what you're looking for. So, oh, the lung sounds are clear. Well, actually they're a little diminished on one side or the other. Uh, you know, and I'll push that along because I do understand that you and I, and the people that are listening to us, we play with these things all the time, but the pops, the clicks, the machines and the compressor going off inside of a simulator. Yeah. There's some weird noises you don't get with an actual patient. And so I do try to help the students along with that. Uh, same thing with pupils. Don't tell me you check their pupils. Most of our mannequins will react to light. So I want to see you actually do it. Now, if it's one that won't react to light, I still want to see you perform the skill and then I'll correct you and tell you what you find. Uh, this is no different than, and I'll throw away back to EMT classes. If anyone's taught EMT classes before and we teach blood pressures and one of the things people want to do is they always check a blood pressure and it's always, oh, it's 120 over 80. But is it really? I mean, I, I checked their blood pressure before I let you do it and it wasn't 120 over 80. So give me the number you get, you know, and in the scenario, if for whatever reason, if you know, mannequin has the ability to take a blood pressure, which a lot of ours do great. If it doesn't, you still need to go through that process of like, well, here's what I'm doing. Put the cuff on and then I will give you your pressures. Well, let me ask you a question. I get a problem with my mannequins and I want to know if it's a Laird all thing. You're, you're in the CAA world. 
do you hear a, or I'm sorry, do you see the students having a differentiation for left lung sounds and right lung sounds? And, and I'm holding some of the data back on purpose, but do you, you know, over and over see them listen to the lung sounds and get a different read from left to right, even though it's equal? I do. Uh, and I think that's common with just about every mannequin because, you know, the way that the mechanics work inside of those, there's so many little machines and motors going on uh, that they're picking up some of those extra sounds. And so they may come back and go, hey, they're diminished on the right. I'm like, no, they're equal. It's okay. And I, and I guide them back to the scenario. Traditionally, what side is it diminished on? You know, think about I, it, it depends on the simulator we're using. Really? Yep. For mine with the, you know, and, and again, I'll throw the name out there. We use the CAE Apollo, which is the adult yeah. human patient. Um, the Great adult machine. male, it's usually the right side. They'll tell me, hey, the right, right side diminished. And I'll tell them, hey, no, it, well, you hear clear and equal. So uh, the reason I say this is, you know, I've been doing this a few years and uh, mainly Lairdahl in my shop. And we're talking uh, Sinman Classic. I can field strip a Sinman Classic. The classics, I don't care if it's the 3Gs, the uh, even Sim Mom, it's always the left. And so in my pre-brief, I, I always, I kind of address that. I say, you know, well, 50% of learners, uh, you know, interpret that. So what I always say is, you know, when you get other people in the room, you, you try to get buy-in from somebody else, you know, like uh, if you don't feel a pulse. Well, I don't feel a pulse, do you? Or, hey, I'm getting lung sounds a little bit diminished on the left-hand side. And I tell them, I said, well, look at your full clinical presentation. If the person is you know, satting at 99% and all that. And so I try to cover it in the pre-brief as well, but that's why I had to bring that up. And if anybody else has these, these little things, we expect you to comment. The reason we're doing this podcast is because uh, the lovely Todd left a comment. So we had other podcasts in the line, but uh, it was such a good one. We couldn't resist. So, well... Yeah, you know, and, and take this a step further, right? We're talking so far about skills. If, if you come into my lab and, and you tell me, oh, I'm going to check this, or I'm going to check that, I actually expect you to do it. And like I said, I'll guide you along. You know, some things just can't change about a mannequin. Uh, one of the things that comes up for me is, well, hey, do you have a Braslow tape? And I tell them, I don't keep a Braslow tape in the lab because no matter what I do, that mannequin's the exact same size. So I will give you the weight <laughs> and then you can yep. figure out the dosing and everything yourself. Yep, um, exactly. But that, that goes a bit further too. It's not necessarily just the hands-on stuff medication, oxygen, fluids, I expect an answer anytime you tell me you're going to do one of those things. It's not as simple as, well, I'm going to put them on high flow oxygen. Yeah. No, tell me exactly what flow rate you want because the computer is going to react to the amount of oxygen that's being given. That's the, that's the physiological modeling in the software. So tell me exactly what you would turn on on the, on the back of the aircraft, you know, or tell me in the, in the ambulance or in the ER or whatever. Yep. You know, oxygen, fluids, same thing. I'm going to do wide open fluids. No, you're not. For, you're going to do four or 500. You're going to do a liter. Tell yeah. me what that number is. Yeah. And so for us, it's closed loop communication. And, and we work on that. Um, I know that's a primarily nursing thing, but it's such a great thing that we put it, you know, we, we focus on team steps. I don't know if you've done that at all, but uh, we're big on team step and we're big on closed loop communication. So I want an order. I want somebody to receive that order. And when it's done, you have to close the loop. You have to say, um, you know, okay, 300 milligrams, amiodarone on board. You know, we're, we're huge on that. So that's, you know, I, I say, I want you to be captain obvious in this, uh, in the sim lab, because it's really what we should be doing in real practice. It's what keeps us out of the weeds in the real world. Because then when you say, okay, I want 300 milligrams of adenosine and the nurse or whoever reads back 300 milligrams of what, you know, you go, Ooh, rethink it and go, wait, no, no, no. What I meant was amiodarone. So that's one way we deal with that too. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we've, that's, that's our approach, right? Ahead of time, like, Hey, this is what I expect of you in there. Um, and then I, I don't know that I say any term more than as you find it. I mean, that is <laughs> all the time in the lab. Anytime someone tries to get off track, especially the newer they are, right? They haven't been through it a whole lot. And they just kind of stand there and say, well, what about this? And I just tell them as you find it. And I'll say that four or five times in a 15 minute scenario. If they keep asking me for something, they're able to check. Uh, and just, you know, it's that gentle reminder, you know, not, not being an asshole, just saying, you know, oh, no, no, get no. in there and assess yeah. it, find out what it is. And again, don't worry about making the wrong assessment as far as, Hey, you know, like you said, they're a little diminished on the right. I'll fix it. I will tell you, no, you know what? They're yeah. equal. Or you come back to me and you say, you know what? Uh, I think they're clear. I don't know. Maybe it's Ronkai and I'll say, nope, you've got crackles in the bases. You know, here's what's going on. But at least you assessed it and I kind of guided you along with that process. Um, and yeah. so once in the lab, I just kind of bring them back to center, that moment of like, all right, I get it. You kind of stepped off. You forgot what we're doing here. What do you see when you look at the patient and then kind of pick up where you were? Yeah. So your phrase was the, as you find it, mine is, well, do what you do in real life. And I tell them, I'm like, you're going to hear that phrase more than anything. So that's my catchphrase on like what yours is the, uh, as you find it is, well, if it's what you do in real life, I expect you to do it here. Well, if it's what you would do, if it's what, and I say that at nausea, because, uh, you know, I make our orientations fairly long, you know, depending on the learners. And yeah, that's the number one thing I'm saying over and over again. So the other thing is, what is the number one thing in a debrief after you have said, well, how do you think that went? Cause that's how I believe that every debrief should start. What is the thing they do first? They tell you everything they did wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't ask are, them. Well, I, how do you think it went? I, I normally ask them, what do you think went well rather than how did it uh, go for you? It's like, what do you think went well? okay, what maybe didn't go so well or what would you do differently? Uh, and we actually give them, because you know, all of our simulations are scored. We yeah. give them that opportunity. If they catch something, that's their moment to be like, you know, I, I screwed this up and I would have done this slightly different. Uh, and so I, I, I'm with you. We do the same thing. We kind of lead out that debrief, but I want to hear from them first. And even when I ask them, what did you do well? Or how did, you know, what, what do you think went well? It's always the same. They give you everything that went wrong before they give you anything positive. So, and I tell people, you know, I try to calm them down. I'm like, all right, first off, you have to understand this is the safe place to make mistakes. So my sims are non-punitive. They're not graded at all. So it's a little bit different world. Um, but I'm like, this is the safe place to make mistakes. If you were perfect, I wouldn't have a job. And you just don't even understand how much I love my job. So don't take my job away from me. I say that all the time to him. I did an interview just today with interviewing residents. And I'm like, don't, don't take my job away. Make your mistakes. Make them here where it's safe. You don't have a, you know, M&N conference. You don't have paperwork. You don't have family, which is the worst thing, you know, having to explain that you've made a mistake to the family. Uh, my boss, who I'm going to have on this show, he's already said yes, but I'm holding him out for a while. Um, you know, he says he comes from a generation that made all their mistakes on real people, which is why he's so passionate about what we do and why it's so important. Well, tell me this, uh, when is it okay or is there ever a chance where it's like, you know what, the right thing to do is allow them to verbalize something instead of physically having to act it out or go through the procedure? Well, you know, I, I think first off, it's, it's important to preface this. Everybody does things differently. Your sims are going to be very different than my sims. If I happen to go to another sim lab, I'm going to do things differently. So like when you say you bump them along, you, you give them a little bit and spoon feed them if you really have to, we don't. It, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Like I told my kids, you know, when they were a lot younger. And so it's just, 
I think it's important to say, you know, everybody's going to do things different. Our listeners are going to be on, you know, the other end of the, uh, the headphones right now going, oh my God, I would never do that. And that's their right. But um, for us, one thing we do is neurochecks. Um, so there are great things for a high, you know, quote unquote, high fidelity mannequin or simulation mannequin. And there are things that they're bad at, you know, facial droop, we can try and we can do things like that. Or that as soon as you walk in the room, look, you know, you're not going to get that really, really well with a simulation mannequin. You can't put them tripoding, weaving back and forth, puffing away. So things like neurochecks, we allow those to be visualized because again, you, you can't make the person grab them on both, you know, hands and, and see if they're squeezing evenly on both sides. Or, you know, we'll say, you know, neurochecks are about the only thing we verbalize. But again, it depends on the lab. It depends on, you know, the skill level, depends on the setup. You're going to a lot of different places that are not set up for it. So um, for us, it's, it's mainly just neurochecks. And of course, as soon as we hang up from this, I'm going to think of five other things we do. But right now, that's all I can think of. Yeah, you know, and for us, uh, here's, here's my biggest thing. We try to have everything in the room. We try to be prepared. We try to think every direction, whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, et cetera, yep. that the learner may go. Um, but I find that no matter how much effort we put into this, we're still surprised, right? Somebody oh, yeah. still oh, either, yeah. Yeah, someone either goes the wrong direction and wants to do something that either has nothing to do with the scenario and I don't have any of the equipment ready, which I mean, should be a hint if it's not in the room, but yeah. Um, so that happens. But every now and then, man, I get someone that comes into a scenario that we have, we believe we've thought through entirely and they go just completely to left field and come up with something that's absolutely appropriate for that patient. And we didn't even think of it. I mean, they just wanted like, we tried to come up with every way they could go wrong, every way they could go oh, right. Yeah. And we just get blindsided those moments for me are like, you know what, that's appropriate. Uh, yeah, go ahead and verbalize it. I'm sorry, I don't have it available, but I'll, you know, I'll give you the, I'll write it down for you. Like so those, those things do happen for me. I try to plan ahead for it, but every now and then it's just like, you know what, that's a good thing to verbalize. Or yeah. uh, if it's a skill that cannot be performed on a specific mannequin. Uh, and I'll give you an example. We had a good yeah. scenario a couple of years ago that was a, I believe, 34 week pregnant female involved in an MBA, just completely obliterated. Yep. And a chest tube or a needle decompression were absolutely appropriate in this situation. However, mm -hmm. our high risk OB mannequin, our maternal fetal simulator, can take neither a chest tube nor a needle decompression. And so in that situation, yeah, you would verbalize and say, this is what I'm going to do at this point. So we handle it a little differently. And that's why I say this. And, and not everybody does this. So um, like for our ICU simulation, there are six procedures, some that can be done on the mannequin with, you know, either an accessory or something and some that can't. So, you know, arthrocentesis, Sim man ain't going to do that. Um, you know, central line. So what we do is we actually drape a trainer out of the way. And I can't remember where I saw it, but somebody did a really nice bare bones, basic chest tube trainer with some printed ribs. And then the beautiful thing about it is, especially for somebody like you is it was small. So it, it got the learning objective. And what we would do is at that point, we go, oh, okay. So you want to do a chest tube. Uh, and see, in mine, it's a hospital setting. So I will say something like, well, let me call for a kit. And if I'm in the room, you know, playing the um, actor or whatever, I will unveil the um, trauma man and I will get a simulation. Or I mean, I will get a um, chest tube kit and I'll get it all draped up for them. And well, I mean, I don't drape it up. I let them do all that stuff. But I get all of the things the nurse would get for the physician and get it all set up. And so we call that tiered learning and it works out so well. 
So just so we take. And we do similar things, right? If we know that we're going to be doing a procedure and in a given scenario that you can't do on a specific mannequin and yeah. Craig's a great example. We have a 3D printing oh, yeah. bike trainer that we can kind of slip in there when it's a simulator that should not be cut on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, we absolutely try and bring those task trainers in. But like I said earlier, man, sometimes these people are like, oh, you yeah. know what? I've got decreased lung sounds or, you know, whatever's going on. Or they think, you know what, she's about to go into a rest. I'm going to go ahead and just bilateral yeah. do decompression. And they throw that out there without actually, yeah. you know, and so it's like, well, okay, go ahead and tell yeah, me you're going to do it. Right. I'm not going to make you go through with it. That's right. That's right. You were saying totally. And, and my other favorite thing is when the learning changes. So I've been doing this long enough now that, you know, the cases were written with one mindset. And when the learning changes and just little nuances, not anything huge usually, but it's, it's like, well, I'm ready for them to do A and then do B. And it's funny because, so for like a hypoglycemic patient, it was always, they would treat the sugar, then they would, which their potassium was borderline low. Well, once they treat that, they have to treat the potassium. And it was always insulin first. Uh, they do the sugar, they do the insulin, do the potassium. In the last two years, I've seen that flip. And they they attack they uh, treat the potassium before the insulin. That's one of my other favorite things that, you know, you weren't ready for, you weren't expecting because, you know, a new drug came out or something like that. That's I love when that happens because then I learn. And that's definitely like that's a that's a difference a lot of times in what you and I do, right? So my my clinicians tend to work off of a set of guidelines, and and they are they're guidelines. They're not like hard and fast rules. You have to do these things in this order. Um, whereas you're working with baby doctors, basically, you know, yeah. you know, and so yeah. when you're dealing with that, doctors aren't held to the same guidelines that we see with nursing that we see with paramedicine. Yep. And you do get that thinking outside of the box, probably a little bit more than we get to see it just because they have choices to them. They're not, they're not held to a hard and fast, like you will do it in this order. Yeah. But then there's some things that, you know, we've been doing forever that they still are not doing as much. Capnography. That's one that, you know, it, it's funny because some of the faculty be like, wow, we really should, I don't know why they're not using faculty or uh, capnography. And I'm like, yeah, I, I went through medic school over eight years ago and that was beaten into my head then that it's huge and you should be using it too. So I love when that happens that, you know, things that you would think are done in hospital and pre-hospitals been doing it forever. Oh, capnography is a great example because it's yeah. one of the very few things that actually made its way starting in the field and kind of worked its way into the hospital. Yep. Um, and, and like you said, a lot of our hospitals aren't really using it um, mm. in the, and not in the way that we can take a patient and off an ambulance and plug them into the wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're starting to see, you're starting to see a lot more capnography in the hospital than did a few years ago. Yep. Um, but like you said, when I went to paramedic school, there was one paragraph in my paramedic textbook that said this technology basically may become something in the future. Uh, and we were using it as I became a paramedic, but the book, you know, every time you have a, a printed book, that's usually a year or two behind. Yep. Uh, and that was it. I had one little paragraph on a paragraph on capnography. And then our instructors, of course, were teaching us what our local guidelines were on it. Yep. It's neat to see that stuff expand. I mean, ultrasound in my world is getting huge. We're expanding that big time. Well, uh, we didn't really do this at the beginning like we normally do. I mean, what have you got going on? What's coming up? Oh, just uh, continuing on what we're doing. Um, we're getting a lot of great feedback on the podcast, and, and I'm just we're blown away. Um, the feedback we're getting, and uh, you know what you guys are saying, where we're finding it. Um, you know, it's absolutely blown us away. We're absolutely we're excited. So. I just want to take a second and say thank you. You guys are awesome already. I mean, we have two episodes. This is the third getting in the can here. Um, and you guys are hugely supportive already. So I just want to say thank you on that. But as far as me, I'm just gearing up for IMSH. Uh, I'm uh, 
exploring some opportunities elsewhere and uh, trying to grow a few products in my business that I'm running on the side, but just staying busy as ever, trying to be a good parent and work my butt off. What are you up to? Uh, you know, I am currently in Denver for an education summit this week, do some cadaver work or, and basically nice. just instructor development, if you will, for the next couple of days. Nice. Uh, just got home from Florida, spent a week down there at the CAE factory. I took a bunch of pictures of their actual production line. I'll post those up on Instagram at some point. Um, awesome place. Awesome yeah, place. It's a lot of fun. I love going down there yeah. and visiting with those guys. They're, they're yeah, just nice they're, folks. Exactly. They're good people. Great, great people. It's, it's fun to walk outside and see a sign that says, beware of alligators right across from the <laughs> office. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah. It was so funny when you posted that because I'm like, wait, I didn't post that. that's that's the benefit of the shared account right we almost have to initial everything so people know who's putting it up there and that's when we remember because sometimes we won't so it was funny because i had a friend of mine uh from philadelphia who i love uh she runs an awesome program and we're gonna get her on the show again too but or get her on the show but uh she was like what are you doing in florida i'm like this is a shared account Well, I mean, other than that, it's uh, my year is is winding down, if you will. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of data entry and a lot of that kind of stuff going on. But my I ran a sim lab today for just a couple of students, and that may actually be the last of my simulations for 2019. Yep. Um, next week's basically Christmas, and so after that, yeah. we'll start back up basically the first week of January. But I, I get a couple of weeks where I'm not traveling all over the place. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, we're, we've got a uh, simulation at the medical school, bright and early, bright and chipper tomorrow, and uh, a couple other little things. But yeah, I'm definitely winding down my ear as well. All right. Well, uh, I think that about wraps this one up without, again, getting, don't want to spend too much time beating the same thing over and over again. But now, uh, at this point, as Dave said, we appreciate it. We're, uh, we'll get this posted in the next couple of days and we'll get the next one up following that. So if you have anything to say, please reach out to us. We're just about everywhere. Anything that you guys are posting, we are reading it. And I think a lot of times we're responding. So just let us know Trying what you want to hear from us. Yeah. And uh, this is where I'm going to put the shameless plug in is uh, we're trying to be everywhere. If you find we're not somewhere, let us know. Uh, So we're in the Apple podcast, the Google, the Stitcher, the, in as many places as we can do. And we've learned some mistakes I've made on the way, but uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, I want to try to use that as our primary vehicle of you guys talking to us, but honestly, I'm on Instagram. I live there. Um, so I'm constantly checking that one. We want you guys to, you know, interact. And that's really the biggest thing I'm going to get us to interact because that's what really drives us. Um, you know, why we do some of this stuff, you know, all the crazy stuff we do. It is uh, just to get an engagement. All right. Well, I think that about does it for the night. Have a great one till next time.